0: How did the field of medicine give us soft drinks?
1: And what was the best-selling rock and roll single of all time?
0: Answers to those and other questions coming up in this episode of The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to The Off-Ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, take a side road to sanity, and get some perspective on life. Well, this gives you some new perspective on something that medicine has told us for years isn't necessarily good for us to drink, soft drinks. There are a lot of things (laughs) wrong with soft drinks, but medicine actually gave us soft drinks. Do you know the story
1: of that? Is that the Coca-Cola story or Dr. Pepper?
0: No, no, it wasn't Dr. Pepper. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> Dr. Pepper. You believe all those titles, I do. don't you? What I about do. Mr. Clean? What does that mean to you?
1: Well, that's uh, my Clorox <laughs> chewable for when I'm sick. Okay, here's
0: where it came from. Back in the 19th century, a man named John Matthews invented an apparatus for charging water with carbon dioxide gas. And the first carbonated drink is believed to have come from this, from the field of medicine, because back in 1807, a Philadelphia doctor, Philip Singh Fisik, the father of American surgery, asked a chemist to prepare carbonated water for one of his patients. Uh And flavor was added to make the drink more palatable, and that was the invention of soft drinks. Carbonated drinks came from a doctor in 1807.
1: Well, thank you, Bob. All right. So... I, I have a feeling by the look on your face, you probably know the answer to this. Okay. Okay. Name the biggest selling rock and roll single record of all time.
0: You know, I don't think I do know this because it could be who knows many different things. W- was it something from one of the big guns like Elvis or the Beatles or somebody like no. that?
1: No. It's rock around the clock. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. There's estimated at least 25 million. White Christmas sold over 50 million, but for rock and roll... Rock Around the Clock by...
0: Bill Haley and the Comets. That's it. I love that song. You know, one of the great things about that song, and you probably don't realize it, but if you listen to it when he goes one o'clock, two, two o'clock, o'clock, three o'clock, o'clock rock, rock, one of those, I think it's two, one of those words, he pops the microphone, like like yeah. I'm doing right here, yeah. and that, you listen to that, it's like, I'm listening to it now, oh. even though it was recorded like 60 years oh. ago, 1955, I think it was. So, oh, wow. Yeah, a long time ago. Okay, But do you hear that? And some of Frank Sinatra's, too, when there's little bitty flaws in the recording, yeah. it's like, wow, it's like I'm right there. It just yeah. makes me feel like I'm in the studio with them.
1: No, oh, I'm a favor of flaws. Okay, I got, a, <laughs> I got a good question from the Ask Marilyn column. You read that, don't you? Oh,
0: yeah, in Parade Magazine. Yes, yes, that's
1: right. Okay, what and where is the Global Seed Vault?
0: The Global Seed Vault. Oh, I've heard about this. This is where they've collected seeds from plants all over the world. It's like just in case there's some kind of a cataclysm or we can always replant things if there's a nuclear war or something. And I think it's up in Norway somewhere. It's in a mountain or something, isn't it? Well, it's close on both those accounts. Where is it? Uh, Well, first, the Global
1: Seed Vault is deep inside a mountain on a cold remote island halfway between Norway and the North Pole. Hmm. But it is not a doomsday vault, as some people or reporters like to say. Well, that's
0: what I was thinking.
1: Rather, it is intended to collect and safeguard our great worldwide diversity of food crops, which are just as vulnerable to extinction as animals. So all yeah. sorts of actions, ranging from volcanic activity to wars.
0: So they just hold this in reserve affairs. in case there's yeah. something. so
1: they can restart a failed uh, extinct crop again.
0: Hmm, okay. So
1: it's a global seed vault in a buried deep inside of a mountain i love it i love the thought of that
0: it's a cool idea too it is Isn't that, it's nice to have it's almost like having spare body parts around if you needed an arm or something well <laughs> but we don't have that that's a strange why did i go play. there i, I don't mean, know why did you go i just there? always thought why don't they have that okay <laughs>
1: yeah. all right
0: looking ahead what's going to be climbing out of the earth by the billions this summer any idea What's well, going to be climbing out of the earth by the billions will this summer. Will it
1: be summer. the uh, crickets or locusts or?
0: Right, the cicadas, also known as locusts. Cicadas. They, this uh, particular group is known as Brood X. They go through life cycles of either 13 or 17 years. So now, when the soil hits what degree this uh, spring? That's when the cicadas will start crawling out. 50 degrees. 64 degrees. Uh. And they'll scale the closest vertical surface, whether it's a tree, a screen door, or somebody's leg. And after molting into their adult form, they make their presence known with deafening mating calls, (laughs) choruses that can exceed 100 decibels. That's equal to a car stereo blasting at maximum volume.
1: Oh, my Lord. Well,
0: But to me, they're the sound of the summer. Yeah. Because I love the way they wave up and down. Yeah.
1: It, It means summer to me, too.
0: How long do they live? Oh,
1: I bet it's not long. I'll say three weeks.
0: Yeah, just a few weeks, after which their bodies drop back to the earth from which they came. So, coming up this summer, the cicadas, the 17-year locust. Good to know, Bob. By the way, Bob, Mm -hmm. how terrible
1: was Ivan the Terrible?
0: Oh, he was terrible. He was the impaler. Wasn't that his term? Ivan the Impaler? Yeah.
1: Can you name a specific thing that was... uh, particularly terrible
0: i thought being (laughs) impaled was a bad thing maybe maybe not to you i don't know (laughs) maybe that's just you know the warm-up for other things (laughs) oh no i'm wrong that was vlad the impaler tell me tell me what you found out okay in
1: 1555 ivan the terrible ordered the construction of saint basil's cathedral Cathedral in moscow he was so thrilled with the work done by his two architects that he had them blinded so they could never be able to build anything else so beautiful again.
0: <laughs> oh, jeez. What a horrible person.
1: Yeah, he, he did uh, huh. the cathedral.
0: Okay. Thank you. At one time in the United States, there were two Capitol buildings. Did you know that? At the same time? At the same time. Now, why? Why? Because why were there two buildings known as the U.S. Capitol? Because
1: one wasn't finished being built yet.
0: Well, not exactly.
1: Because uh, one was in the north and one was in the south? No. Because? One was in a state of disrepair. Disrepair. Because? Because? Because the British
0: burned it it down. Burned it down.
1: (laughs) It was on fire. I remember that. Oh, geez. Okay. (laughs) Because?
0: Anyway, so there were two U.S. Capitol buildings in Washington, D.C. at one point because Congress needed somewhere to meet after the British burned the Capitol in the War of 1812. And actually... The British burned both the Capitol and the White House. They were empty hulks after that disaster. And that actually led some to suggest, let's just abandon Washington, D.C. It's too close to the coast. If we ever get invaded, it's a problem. What was one of the major reasons Washington wasn't abandoned? You got me? Real estate speculators. Really? Yeah, because they they panicked after Washington, D.C. came within nine votes of being abandoned by Congress. They had a vote, and they almost abandoned the city because it was a new city. Yeah. It had just been built, and it wasn't totally developed. And if that had happened, all of these real estate speculators' investments in federal city would have been wasted.
1: Is that what it was called?
0: It was called federal city originally. Huh. Anyway, they were developing neighborhoods, housing, businesses. So millions and millions of dollars were in real estate deals. So the local businessmen banded together and built a three-story brick building where Congress could meet. Huh. And they used that as the Capitol for 10 years. That building was around till the Civil War. In the Civil War, it was a prison. Hmm. That site is now the site of the Supreme Court. Originally, sure. there was another Capitol building there.
1: How much hair does the average human being grow in a lifetime, Bob?
0: Now, how do we measure that, Marcia? In well, terms of inches? In uh, terms of girth? Inches, feet? So if you took a strand of hair and— Let's
1: go with miles.
0: Wow. Wow. You're kidding.
1: No, the answer is in miles. How many miles of hair
0: does the, the average person grow in a lifetime? Okay, <laughs> I I'm all ears.
1: <laughs> well, don't you want to take a guess? You gotta take a okay,
0: guess. Okay, I'd say a mile and a half. Yeah.
1: Well this was so ridiculous that I triple checked it. Five hundred and ninety miles of hair. The average person grows. Yeah, 500. that doesn't make. You know how far that is? That's to your sister's in back. That's a long, long way. <laughs> that's ridiculous. That's a lot of hair. Yeah.
0: That's hard to believe. It is.
1: It does. That's why now I. Now double... I
0: understand why there are barber shops. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of work well, to be done. I don't done. know
1: what age they're. Using you live to, but I'm sure, you know, it's like...
0: Wow, that is an incredible statistic, yeah. and you double-checked that.
1: I did. I bet I should triple-check. Maybe. <laughs> and you know how many uh, the average person eats in their lifetime?
0: How many hairs? How many... <laughs> what? Is that what you're asking me? I'm how sorry. many
1: tons of food do you oh, okay. eat in the average <laughs> uh, life?
0: How many tons of food? Oh, geez. Bad calories are bad enough. I can't imagine how many tons of food I eat. <laughs> how many tons of food have I eaten in a lifetime? Okay, what's the answer? <laughs>
1: Just give me a guess. A ton. A ton. That's a lot. This is 35 tons in the average lifetime. You're...
0: Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> 35 tons? Is yeah. that what you're saying? That's what I'm saying. Oh, come on. Is that really true? I
1: don't know. I ate a pound of nuts the other day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's like 70,000 pounds. Yeah. That's a... Do we eat that much food in a lifetime? Where do you get these things? <laughs> That's, That's hard to believe. Yes, it is. Okay, I've got a question for you. Back to that brick building that served as the U.S. Capitol, okay? Okay. What inauguration tradition was launched there? The brick building that was used for the U.S. Capitol for about 10 to 12 years.
1: Oh. Uh,
0: and it was well, the fifth the, U.S. President, James the Monroe. Was
1: it parade? Was it fireworks? No. Was it uh, speaking on the outside?
0: Yes, it was taking the oath of office outdoors. Okay. It first took place in front of that brick capitol by James Monroe. That was the first time the inauguration was held outside, and it's a tradition that continues to this day. That's interesting.
1: So okay. is this, Bob. Where is the toilet paper capital of the world? <laughs>
0: the toilet paper capital of the, of the world. world. This is where they make the most toilet paper? Uh-huh. Would it be in Wisconsin?
1: Yes.
0: It's uh, one of the big paper plant towns. What is it? What's the name of it?
1: Oh, I think the Packers hang out there.
0: Green Bay? Yeah. Green Bay is the paper toilet capital of the world.
1: Or the Keister Kingdom, the...
0: <laughs> the Keister Kingdom.
1: Capital City, <laughs> Xanadu of doo-doo. I never heard any of these. Oh my goodness,
0: that's hilarious.
1: Green Bay is the paper industry's capital, and it still accounts for more than 6,000 jobs in the Green Bay area. Georgia Pacific alone. Has five facilities in Green Bay. Wow! And it is the birthplace of the quilted northern bathroom tissue.
0: That began there in Green <laughs> yeah, Bay. Well, yeah, a lot of that makes sense. I think paper towels were first done in uh, the state of Wisconsin yeah, too. Yeah,
1: it's uh, well, we got the rivers and the lakes and the means to produce and, and the, the logging.
0: The paper industry was yeah. huge here. Yeah, absolutely it's... huge. Okay, those are good questions, Marsha.
1: <laughs> you like uh, Xanadu of doo-doo? <laughs> I love that one, the
0: Xanadu of doo-doo. <laughs> all right, let's go back, Marsha. Okay. What U.S. president carried 84% of the states, 16 of the 19 at the time, in his first election, and four years later ran unopposed, winning all but one electoral votes? What president... He was also commended for his courage in battle by George Washington. That's my other.
1: Well, quote. uh by George Washington. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't Grant and uh, who had uh, well uh you I know this president for
0: yeah. a for a speech he gave and it's called the blank doctrine.
1: Could it be Monroe?
0: It's James Monroe, yeah. <laughs> James Monroe was a teenager when he was commissioned as a lieutenant in the Continental Army, and he was shot in the shoulder when he was leading a charge at the Battle of Trenton in 1776, and George Washington commended him as a brave, active, and sensible officer. Sensible. And he, when he ran for president, he won 16 of the 19 states in his first election and the second term he ran unopposed. There was an era of good feelings. Really? He followed John Adams Jefferson and James Madison, and that was a very contentious yeah, time. Yeah. And when he came in, one of the things he did was he took a tour of the country, went all over the country and met people, uh-huh. and, and people felt they knew the president. So when he ran for re-election, he was unopposed. Wow. Amazing. He won all but one electoral vote. He was a U.S. ambassador. He helped negotiate the Louisiana Purchase, and then you had the Monroe Doctrine. So fascinating man, actually.
1: I think it's time for a break.
0: We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Off-Ramp with Bob.
1: And Marsha. Smith.
0: All right, we're back. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marsha Smith. And we're returning with more on The Off-Ramp. You got a question there?
1: I have a little factoid I found interesting. Okay. Kind of woo woo uh, 14 years. What be- does that
0: mean, woo woo?
1: Kind of like, out there. Woo You know, the Twilight <laughs> Zone music? Yeah, oh, okay. That's kind of woo woo. Okay.
0: I never knew what that meant. Well, I thought woo woo had something to do with a pretty girl who was throwing you kisses.
1: Oh, for God's sake! Okay. Okay. No, 14 years before the Titanic sank, novelist Morgan Robertson published Futility. The story was about an ocean liner that struck an iceberg on an April night. The hmm. name of the ship in his novel, the Titan.
0: Oh, really? Yeah,
1: isn't that bizarre? Four- you know,
0: there are things like that have happened in literature that presage something yeah. that was going to happen.
1: Yeah, the Titan. The
0: Titan. In that was April, the name of the ship.
1: Yeah, and the it Titan. hit an iceberg in April. It was 14 years before the Titanic sunk.
0: Okay, so this was like 1898. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Marcia, I have a couple of questions for you. Again, back to presidential inauguration since we recently had one. What were the first presidential inaugurations to be photographed, filmed, or televised? Three different presidents. So let's start with the first one. What president was the first to have his inauguration photographed?
1: Photographed. Um, I'll
0: give you a hint. uh,
1: Was it Teddy Roosevelt?
0: No, no, no. We've got pictures of Lincolns. inauguration. Oh, that's
1: right. Okay. I was thinking of some pictures of him. Go ahead. Give me a hint.
0: It was the president before Lincoln. James Buchanan, ah, uh, 1857, the inauguration Jimbo. ceremony, first to be photographed. Okay. Which one was the first to be filmed with a motion picture camera? Which inauguration?
1: I was thinking FDR.
0: No, no, no. Way before <laughs> that. Way okay. before that, I'm,
1: I'm getting a lot of oh no no. You got notes. a lot
0: of FDR. No, we'll get to FDR eventually. <laughs> we'll find a question that we can answer with FDR.
1: I was Teddy. I said first. Oh,
0: Teddy, not even a Roosevelt there. Not
1: even a Roosevelt. Okay. What was the first, first.
0: inauguration to be filmed? Please stick to the question.
1: <laughs> Tell me, Bob.
0: The year was 1897. Yeah. William McKinley. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> the first inauguration to be televised.
1: To be televised. You can, you, can use your, you can
0: use your favorite which president now? Which
1: <laughs> FDR? No. no.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I tricked you into that. <laughs> that was rude. I'm a i am I apologize. Okay, Uh, close enough. It was Harry Truman, though. 1949, that was the first to be televised. (laughs) So funny. Now, this is a significant fact. The introduction of cameras brought a wider audience to the ceremonies and to the peaceful transfer of power, another sacred American tradition since the days of Washington. But to photograph it, for people to see it around the world, here's the inauguration of the new president. Oh, there's the old president standing right next to him. That's the way things used to be done. Yeah. So photos, films, and television helped to spread that that, yeah, uh, that tradition. Yeah, changed a lot of things. Yeah.
1: So here's a question, Bob. Okay. Where is the world's largest art gallery?
0: The world's largest art gallery isn't uh-huh. that the isn't that the Louvre Museum? I would have thought so too. Oh, I bet it's in uh, Russia. I bet it's in Saint Petersburg.
1: Very good. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The uh, what's the Hermitage? Is that what they call it? The
1: Winter it? Palace. Winter Palace. That's right. Visitors would have to walk fifteen miles to see the three hundred and twenty-two galleries, which housed nearly three million works of art, in uh, Saint Petersburg, Russia, at the Winter Garden Palace.
0: And like the Louvre, that was originally a palace of a king. The Louvre Museum, is originally was the palace yeah. of the king, right. And same thing, that was the Tsar's palace in Russia. Okay, Marcia. Uh huh. Almost every presidential inauguration has been conducted in Washington D.C. So why was a presidential inauguration conducted once in New York City? Mm-hmm. One president was inaugurated in New York City. Who was he and why? All right, tell me. Well it's simple, Marsha.
1: <laughs> you and your damn president questions.
0: <laughs> it's George Washington because oh. the Capitol was in New York oh, City God. originally. It
1: is simple.
0: Yeah, that's where the capital of the US was when he was president. The first presidential inauguration was April 30th, 1789, in the nation's first capital, New York City on a second-floor balcony of Federal Hall. That's where George Washington took the oath of office. Now, when he was reelected, where was the Capitol? It had moved. To D.C. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you really are get... so wrong today. I love this. <laughs> this is great. Wrong, 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 Marsha. No, uh, it was Philadelphia. Philadelphia was yeah. our second U.S. Capitol. That's where the second and third inaugurations were conducted. In fact, the city of Washington didn't exist. George Washington chose the site for the city of Washington, for okay. federal city, as yeah. they called it, okay. as I indicated. I think, right.
1: I think we need a moratorium on these presidential questions, Bob. Did you know
0: that two presidents—OK, <laughs> okay, one more, one more. Oh, this is the last inauguration question. Okay, yeah. Two U.S. presidents were sworn in at the White House. Who were they? We've mentioned both of their names in this show so far today.
1: Was one John Adams?
0: No. Oh. <laughs> He's not one.
1: Yeah, I don't like what your disdain. The, I don't like your the, tone. Well,
0: now you can use the name of the president you've been trying to get answer a question. FDR. FDR. You're right. You're right, Marcia. Yes. During World War II, Franklin Roosevelt was sworn in for his fourth term in 1945 at the White House, uh-huh. South Portico. And less than three months later, after... Roosevelt's death, we know that Harry Truman was sworn in in the White House Cabinet Room.
1: <laughs> okay. But actually, Gerald Ford Stop, was, please. Gerald
0: Ford was actually sworn in also after Nixon resigned in the oh, East yeah. Room. Oh yeah, I remember that. So, those weren't inaugurations. I mean, right. that was not an inauguration. Right. Either was Harry Truman. Yeah, but. and
1: Johnson was on a plane.
0: What city was that? It was on the ground. Dallas? Yeah. He was still on the ground. They wanted to swear him in before they left. Before
1: they left the ground. Love
0: Field in Dallas. Okay. All right, Marsha, what kind of questions do you have for me?
1: Well, I I amazed and amused you with questions (laughs) about how long hair
0: is, (laughs) how much food we eat. You did. (laughs) <laughs> this, this is an interesting combination of it's things cer- today. It certainly
1: is. <laughs> Are Tell- we
0: going to fingernails next? <laughs> What's no. next? Okay.
1: Birth, Bob. Tell me the largest number of children born to one
0: woman. Oh, dear. That's just painful to even think about. Oh, <laughs> uh, my you,
1: you have no idea. I, I know. Boy.
0: Of course. I, I told you when you gave birth the first time, I said, I've never seen a man work that hard. I was so impressed
1: by um, that. You've never saw a man work? Oh, Work okay. as hard as
0: a woman does when she gives birth. It's like, oh, my God, I had no
1: idea. Now you do. Yes. Okay. I've,
0: I've worshipped at the feet of your, <laughs> your feet ever since, as you know. So stop
1: asking presidential questions oh, okay. if you love me. <laughs> okay. All right. So how many did this woman have? Let me
0: say she had 18 children. Eighteen but, children. Sixty-nine, Bob. You're kidding. No, one no. woman had sixty-nine, gave birth to sixty-nine human <sighs> beings, and then what, did she promptly die? Well, after I would that? hope
1: so. The mother of all mothers.
0: <laughs> <coughs> That's what I would call her. The, the largest mother of all mothers. The
1: largest number of children born to one woman is recorded at sixty-nine. From seventeen twenty five to seventeen sixty-five. A Russian peasant woman gave birth to 16 sets of twin, Jeez. seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets.
0: Holy cow, and this was long before fertility drugs.
1: Yeah, I would think. 17, 1700, it? 1725 to 1765. Was 1760, this poor woman's but,
0: name recorded? Do they, we know her name? They
1: don't even bother to give it. Just oh, a, pez, a Russian peasant woman. Oh,
0: God.
1: But how, that's amazing. That's sad that her name isn't recorded. 69.
0: Kids? Oh, my goodness. That's an amazing statistic. I can't believe that. You know, uh, recently Hal Holbrook, the actor, died. And yes,
1: one of my favorites.
0: We had the pleasure of seeing him do his Mark Twain Tonight Show right here in our hometown a few years back. He did that show all over the world. What is wrong with the image Hal Holbrook and other Mark Twain impersonators gave to Samuel Clemens on the lecture circuit? What was incorrect about the image that they left? Now just picture Mark Twain and what do you see?
1: Yeah, I see him with the white hat and the beard and the uh, white suit.
0: White suit, that's it. But the fact is Mark Twain never lectured in a white suit. In fact, it wasn't until he reached his 70s that Mark Twain came to wear the white suits we associate with him. And by that time, he'd long given up the lecture circuit. As a matter of fact, his longtime friend William Dean Howells said Twain customarily wore black of a truly deplorable cut (laughs) when he gave his lectures. The first time Howells saw Mark Twain wear white was at the Congressional Committee on Copyright Hearings in 1906. So that comes from the Dictionary of Misinformation.
1: Huh. Okay. Why are places we go to eat, Bob, often called restaurants?
0: Oh, I read about this. You did? Uh, It was because of the restorative nature of them, right? to restore that's where it came from
1: Well you're not far off up until 1765 diners were offered only what innkeepers chose to serve you didn't have a menu or anything you'd go to the inn and they'd say well here's you know here's your tongue sandwich but then oh. <laughs> but then a Paris chef named Boulanger began offering a choice of nourishing soups to a passerby mm-hmm. and on a board hanging over the door he painted the word Restaurant, meaning to, quote, restore.
0: Oh, so I was right. Well, that's really cool. Right
1: on. He was so successful that throughout the world, dining rooms still display his original sign, Restaurant, a promise to restore your energy.
0: Well, and that's what a good restaurant will do. Okay, I've got a couple kind of funny lines to help us end the show today. Okay. They're all about uh, aging, okay? Okay. I like this one. Don't irritate old people. The older we get, the less life in prison is a deterrent. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one that you laughed at when I said the other day, I asked my wife if I was the only one she'd ever been with. She said, yes, all the others were nines and tens. (laughs) It's terrible. And finally, this is one I think is kind of funny. As I watch the online generation try to rewrite history, one thing I'm sure of: it will be misspelled and have no punctuation.: <laughs> Yeah, got that right? <laughs> <laughs> like a bad text message.
1: Hey, Bob, how long can a camel go without drinking water?
0: It can go days. It can go like uh, a week.
1: No. Up to seven months.
0: You're kidding. I
1: know that's hard to believe. It, I had a yes, double it check that one too. Seven but, uh, months? Yeah, out on the desert. If they store it in their little humps there and go seven months, they can lose half their body weight. They can't go too long without food, but seven months without water if they've stored it all in their humps.
0: You know, I saw an interesting fact because we associate the camels with the desert. There was an interesting story recently where they uncovered in the middle of the Sahara Desert stones with pictures of giraffes and, and other jungle animals in the desert. So that shows you how that climate changed over centuries while human beings were alive. Uh huh. Fascinating. Okay, here's one. This is kind of a funny. My wife asked me to take her to one of those restaurants where they make food right in front of you. (laughs) I took her to Subway. (laughs) That's when the fight started. (laughs) Our thanks to Gordy Gray for those funnies. Oh, here's an interesting thing uh, that deals with, we talk about all the things that changed because of COVID over the last year. Mm -hmm. And this comes from Steve Short from his short report a week or so ago. He said the makers of Purell Hand Sanitizer have added a factory and a warehouse and reworked their supply chain, all with the expectation that demand for hand sanitizer will remain high. Sales were up 600% over last year. I bet. But... Keep your hands clean, not with Mexican sanitizers. Importers have been warned repeatedly about products containing dangerous contaminants from Mexico. So be careful with those hand sanitizers.
1: Where's Steve from?
0: Steve from San Francisco. Okay, well, that's
1: uh, one of the rampers in San Francisco. If you have a question and you'd like a shout-out on the show, just go to our website.
0: TheOffRamp.show
1: Then go to contact us and send us a question. Give us your name and location.
0: And give us the answer. And
1: give us the answer. (laughs)
0: Because one of us is going to stump the other with your answer.
1: Yes, so so that'll be fun. Appreciate it. Thank you, Steve, for sending in that sanitizing information. It's
0: very sanitary information, Steve, yes. (laughs) Very clean jokes. (laughs) All right, that's it for today. We hope you join us again next time. I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. And you've been listening to The The Off-Ramp. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarbrook Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin.